I love when you start it. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to t- Say What You Mean. I almost said, <laughs> I almost said To The you Republic. You almost said To The Republic. That's oh, so good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thanks for picking up on that one. Try again. Oh, okay. You I'm want, keeping all this. You're keeping all this? Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Say What You Mean podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jake. Jeb, I'm Jeb. And I'm CJ, yet oh, again. Oh, that was so good. We have uh, we have CJ with us again, and we're super excited about it. It's hopefully this is as regular as it can be as it can be, because we have such great. We honestly have such great conversations. I listened back last episode, and I just was like, "This is just so good." Well, and CJ, I'm going to toot your horn here. Uh, <laughs> you bring in a different perspective as a dad. You know what I mean? I think that adds a whole different element to not only just in analyzing what we talk about here, but just even conversationally. One of the first things I want to ask you is how has work been and how has life been since uh, we last talked? Yeah. Well, it's no secret why I come back when all the horn tooting is going on. But, <laughs> um, so last week has been interesting. Like I had mentioned, I was back in the hospital where I work. Right. Um, it was really interesting to see how quiet things were because mm-hmm. we're really limiting what's happening right. to the most essential things and most essential people. Um, it was really encouraging. One of the things I did is I interviewed um, a few different people that are doing um, pretty much everybody that's there right now is working on coronavirus response. But right. at each entrance to the hospital that's open, we have people checking temperatures of everyone that comes in that's and crazy. screening them with some questions about do you have a cough? Have you been around anybody that's tested positive for COVID-19 and mm-hmm. things like that? So obviously that's not something they would normally be doing. So I was talking to those people about what they do regularly and what it's been like to transition into this role. Right. Um, one of the people I talked to, her role is called constant observer, which is something where when somebody's in the hospital and if they're in a position where they need somebody basically in the room with them at all times, this person is trained to be able to do that. They know when to go and get the nurse for different things. They can help with basic stuff mm-hmm. the patient might need. So she had been with our organization for like two weeks before we went into modified operations. Whoa. So she had done kind of her training and she had done one four hour shift as a constant observer. Mm-hmm. And then all of this happened. And so she got redeployed um, to be part of the team doing these temperature mm-hmm. checks and screenings. So it was really interesting to talk to her and hear you know, the job that she expected to do versus the job that she's doing now and what right. it's like. Mm-hmm. But um, all of that was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we continue to see, I think, I think I had mentioned last time when I was on, but um, some of the modeling that the University of Washington had been doing, which mm-hmm. has been some of the most trusted kind of analysis for uh, how this disease is spreading across the country. They had projected the peak for Oregon to be... Um, it's the dates, the exact date has moved around, but it had been this week Mm -hmm. roughly. And I think we've seen that be the case. Um, throughout this week in our hospital, we've had, um, I think 16 to 17 COVID positive patients throughout the week, which is by far the most that we've had. Um, that's been, I think seen other places throughout the state. One of the things that's happened for us is there's a um, retirement home that had an outbreak through their population. And so we're one of the closest hospitals. And so many of our patients represent that group. Um, But what we are seeing is the flattening of the curve where that peak is not necessarily a specific day. It's been kind of spread out over the week. Mm -hmm. And what that has meant, um, 
just to kind of rah-rah for everybody else, kind of like we ended last time, is that everything people have been doing to limit the exposure and transmission that's happening has been super helpful. Mm -hmm. In a hospital setting, what it's meant is that the patients that we have that need special resources and um, equipment and things like that that we may have in limited supply, our supply has been sufficient to care for all of those people. Wow, that's so good to, that's that's good awesome. to hear. If you think about, like, that's what flattening the curve means. It doesn't necessarily mean that, um, it hopefully means fewer people get sick, but it also means people get sick on a more spread out interval right. so that that ventilator that's being used for a patient, um, you know, for a week or two, isn't needed for someone else that's coming in and you keep healthcare professionals from having to make that really tough decision of we have one ventilator and two or three patients that yeah, need it. Who do we give it to? Right. Um, we've been really fortunate in that regard. And then at home, things have been going well. Kids are, kids are doing good. Um, we've done a couple more excursions to the, my in-laws house, which has mm. been really nice. They, you know, we, we live in a neighborhood. So when we go outside, like we have a very small yard and then, being out in the neighborhood, it's really, I think I mentioned, it's just kind of like you're doing laps. You can't right. really stop and play and do anything like that. But when we go to my in-laws, they have a pretty good size yard and they have a trampoline. And so the uh, kids are out. Are you going partying. to your mom's at all? Your yeah. parents? Yeah, we've been going to okay. my parents' house too on the weekends. Because there's plenty of room yeah. out there. <laughs> Social distancing is easy out there as yeah. well. Um, and they just got a puppy and my brother and his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Girlfriend, wife. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, Alicia. Um, got a puppy uh, like right when this was all starting. Right. So, what kind of dog? Uh, theirs is a mutt that they got from the pound. I think okay. it's like a pit bull mix. Mm -hmm. And then my parents got a boxer puppy. Okay. Yeah. So, awesome. Bunch of we've cute got puppies. Dogs all over the place mm -hmm. out there, and so that's awesome. Been, been good. Good. Jake. Yep. How are you, bud? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where do I even begin? Uh, wherever you would like, my friend. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's so many things to say, but where do you really start with this? Right. Um, so, I guess I'll just start by laying out the major points. Okay. Um, the whole world is burning. Right. And then, um, yeah, I just I decided, I was like, hey, you know what? It's a good idea. <laughs> Let's just, let's take some, let's go pick some of that fire up. I'll set it, I'll put a powder keg around everything I've got going on and, yep. and blow it all up. Yep. So, uh, I, my girlfriend of, uh, 11 years and I, 11 years, um, her and I, uh, broke up about a month mm -hmm. and a half ago. Oh. Um, the, I quit, I quit my job of <laughs> 12 years, uh, two days ago. Yep. Um, and yeah, so that is kind of where i'm at you just reset the game dude i really did That's man. I, it. I was just well yeah because the it, it was the, at the n64 i had to take the the game out i mm -hmm. had to i had to blow out the the card and put the right, game back in right so we'll it'll see. work it'll work that, that's how it works right <laughs> yeah it'll <laughs> wow. work it'll all be fixed now mm -hmm. uh yeah dude it's it's crazy but you know i um I've also, yeah, I think anybody who follows me on social media would have seen, like, I, I have really struggled with depression and anxiety for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I just, it got to a point, I think recently where I just, I got, I was like, I've been so unhappy for so long that I have to make a change. For sure. Like, I, I, I can't just keep sitting here idle, putting on this face where I just go from crisis to crisis and not actually make any fundamental changes in my life. Right. That's literally the definition of insanity. Yeah, it truly <laughs> is. Like, and, and I just, I have to get, I mean, I have to get help and I'm the, I have to be the, I have to be the arbiter of that change. Mm -hmm. And I think, 
those are always words that you hear people say, but I think I really came to that. And it's a difference between saying it and realizing it and then acting on it. And I think I'm at the point where I'm realizing it and making the steps to act on it. Right. Because I made a, I made this, I made this really big post and I wasn't trying to elicit any particular response. I, but I mean, you were kind of fishing for compliments. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Just kidding. Um, and the out the absolute outpouring of support that I received from friends and family was right. just so um, over. It was so overwhelming with with I, I, just people reaching out to me and telling me people I had no idea struggled with it as well. And, mm-hmm. and hearing and talking to to them about their experiences and what works for them, what hasn't worked for them. And um, I, I think it was mutually beneficial for for me and some of those people. And you know, we, when someone gives you, when someone takes their time out of their day to give you that kind of goodwill, like there's almost a, it, 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 it had an effect I didn't foresee happening. One, it made me feel really good. It made me feel really good because right. that many people took their time to, to tell, how, tell me how much I've affected their lives. But then also it gives some, gives some sort of, uh, of accountability. Like when, when people take their time to, you know, to say those kind of things to you and, um, and, and, you know, actually want to take the time out of their day to, to come in and meet with you and, and, and see you and talk to you and, and make sure that you're okay. Like if you don't, if you don't then act on that and actually try to get better, like all of their, all of their, their actions were wasted and, right. I, and I don't want to waste any of, like, I don't want to waste people's time either. Mm-hmm. So like I need, I, I, for them, the people who, who care about me, I owe it to them to try to get better as well. So um, I didn't, I didn't foresee that happening, but honestly, that has been like the biggest motivating factor, which is why I was like, I need to, like, I've been spinning my wheels at this job for so long and yeah, it's probably not the greatest thing to just quit without another job lined up. Right. But if I didn't rip that bandaid off, if I just allowed myself to allow this minimum momentum to subside and then sit there and then been like, Oh, you only know, I can, I'll find, I'll find a job once COVID's over. Right. right and I know right, like, right. Once that comes around, I'll be like, you know, like I'm here, I'm comfortable, and then I I'm just, in a management it, position. I'm doing okay. I'm making enough where I right. can survive. No, like that is what I've done, and kick the can down the road. Essentially, punted on on all major changes forever, and right. I just can't do that anymore. So I had to r- completely rip the bandaid off. And not many people at 30. I'm approaching 30 in November, and get a legit second, like a complete reset. Right. And that's where that's where I, I have to I have to make I have to make the most of that opportunity because yeah. it's, it's rare and not many people get it. And I have to make sure that I, I set myself up for like a second act. So Hell I'm, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. Like it was really dark. It has been really stressful. Um, there's a couple of things I'm, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about. Right. But the I, I've come out of this so much in such a much in a, in so much better place. Like I'm, I'm telling myself every single day to um, do one small act of kindness to mm, some people, mm-hmm. and it's and that 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 in itself like brings me so much joy. And it's like and just getting up and making your bed in the morning. Like I never oh. did that. So every single morning I wake up and I make my bed. Okay. And it's just it's just little things like that that I hope build success over over right. time. So just change those habits now, make them habitual, mm-hmm. and then what were you say? I was gonna say I just feel like. Um, this time I, I have seen or experienced and myself too. It seems like we're all like having introspection because of different things that are happening differently in the world. And, um, it creates kind of this, this crucible for change. 
I know I have felt a little bit guilty about like, I'm not commuting two hours total to and from work every day. I have this extra time in my life. And yet I don't see my, like the first little bit of kind of the, the quarantine time, I felt like I was trying to like work really hard on doing things that I cared about and I was passionate about. And then mm. just in trying to like shift and keep everything else going, um, some of that has fallen off. And, right. I, and like, even if I do have time, I'm just like, I don't really want to do that. And so I think what you're describing about having those people that are holding you accountable or that are, that are invested in you, that's so important from a positive change perspective. Mm-hmm. The other thing I thought about as you were talking is uh, the very first time I was on, I talked about my experience um, as an intern with the Washington State Senate mm-hmm. and um, some of the things around that. And I don't remember if I gave like the full background, but um, right before I left to go on that internship or moved up to Olympia, um, my girlfriend who I had dated pretty much all through college and I broke up. Oh, and wow. uh, like a year before that, we had kind of done this thing. And I think Jerry Seinfeld is the one that describes it as like breaking up is sometimes like trying to tip over a soda machine <laughs> and you have to like <laughs> rock it back. And, yeah. And we had gone through a year of that and it was awful. Um, and so I went into this really cool, exciting um, experience being like totally destroyed mentally and emotionally. Mm. Um, and some of the things you just described about like finding your own way through things, um, I that just took me right back to 2006 when I was doing some of that stuff. Um, af- after my internship, I ended up working on a campaign. And so I was living in an apartment up in Kitsap County by myself and was really working pretty independently. Like the candidate I was working for was doing her regular job most of the time. And so I was on my own. And, and then when I wasn't on my own at work, I was like totally on my own at home. And that was something that I think at that point in my life was really terrifying because Mm -hmm. I had always been like really, really codependent and had this expectation of like, when I would be out of my parents' house, like there would be someone with me and it would Mm -hmm. be a together thing. And it was like this light bulb for me that, Oh, I can do all of this stuff if I have to. And like, I can be in charge of my own life and, um, I can make decisions without needing somebody else to co-sign on it. And, um, so I would just, you know, listening to that, I, I, when I look back at that time in my life now, there's so many positive things that I remember about it. But I also remember that in the moment I was really miserable a lot of the time and it was really tough, but um, I would just throw you that kind of encouraging thought of, yeah, well, thank you. Um, that makes me feel a lot better. Cause I'm scared. I mean, I am, I'm scared to be alone. Like yeah. I haven't been yeah. alone ever, yeah. but, but like you said, that post dude, you're not alone. I know I'm not alone. And people have been talking about that with the social distancing is like people who who suffer with depression and anxiety, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm alone. It's like physically you can be distanced, but like as Jake exemplified there, he posts and everybody's like, no, dude, like we're here for you, man. It's like, oh, there are actually people there for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I think that's an important point as far as kind of on your situation is that you're not alone we're not all alone we all can't connect we're living in this age where we can facetime or zoom or chat or whatever Mm -hmm. and um one thing i will say about our relationship jake is i bust your balls a lot but you know i love you to death oh no and um you and i always seem to i always feel like we're kind of in in an inadvertent way challenging each other to do better Mm -hmm. so 
whether it's when when you started your master's program, I was like, okay, I need I need to get this together. I need to do something. Yeah. So then I started, and then. You know, now you're talking. You and I have had conversations of the next step of what you're looking at doing, and even even when you're talking about what you want to do, I know you mean it, and I know you're passionate about it. So I see Jake making changes in his life to do better, to be better. So then I I tell Jen the other night, I was like, you know what? On summer break, I'm gonna I'm gonna just dedicate my time to something. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know, like. I don't know, maybe like do like online Spanish lessons and just really dedicate the summer to learning Spanish. Mm, and then I was like, so cool. I was like, but then I thought about like, I miss singing. So maybe I'll do singing lessons or maybe I'll, I'll just start working out every day. She's like, why don't you just dedicate a different day of the week to one of those things? Yeah. And I was like, that's a genius idea. Yeah. So, but also it, it keeps me, you know, it's, it's easy, like kind of what CJ was saying. It's easy to just be like, well, I don't, oh wait, this was in our conversation earlier. And I don't know if we talked about it here, but you just, oh, it was, it was earlier. How you just want to be like, nah, I don't really want to do that. I'm just going to chill here and not do anything. I could easily get into the routine of like, I'm just going to play Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. But right now I have an obligation to do my homework and to do my assignments. Mm -hmm. If I dedicate myself to learning Spanish, taking a singing lesson once a week and then, and then working out, if I continue that obligation, then it'll, it'll happen. Right. Yeah. So I'm only telling you that now. So now you can challenge yourself to rise above that and do something better. I know <laughs> we, we really do make each other better. We have and to. That's one of the reasons why I, I, one of the many reasons I cherish our friendship so much and so glad that we started this because it's kept us, like we have like this weekly accountability, like this weekly check-in right, right with each other. So, uh, and we, and we're always messaging too, yeah. but where you're, you're telling me I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm sexist because I don't like uh, something about, remember that thing with Biden? Remember like the, that one, that woman went on that, uh, on that podcast and um she said that biden had like sexually assaulted her on the uh -huh. on capitol hill right and, like i was like well there's really no major right like news sources picking this up like mm -hmm. i'm gonna wait until somebody somebody of, of reputable like somebody who's reputable picks this up and, and goes with it and right. actually does some investigation and you were you were messing with me the entire time but i was you you knew i was in my head like you yeah knew, like you knew this was the beginnings of what was going on with mm -hmm. with kylie and i and like that was just what I I, I needed that because it, it took my like it took my anger and it channeled it <laughs> right right towards something and it and, and at the end of that like and you're like dude I'm messing with you and I was like oh and then all of all of that worry that I had and for just that little that that short period of yes. time like it took everything away because I was just able to like breathe well I was arguing no and I do this all the time but I'm arguing the complete. I'm I'm your antithesis when I'm doing this when I'm trolling you. Mm -hmm. You're you're stuck on one idea, and I'm telling you every idea that you have is wrong, and that the other view is right. And you're getting worked up, and then I'm like, dude, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, okay, he's just messing around. Yeah. But sometimes I do prove that you're sexist. You know, you <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Uh, anyways, uh, you're doing awesome. Thank Continue you. to keep going. Keep. Continue to keep moving. And I just want to say one other thing. Like, let's hear it. If you, if anybody listening is is struggling with anxiety and depression too, please, please reach out. Yeah. Please reach out. Talk to us. We're here. Definitely. Come visit. Come sit. You, you have no idea how freeing it is to finally just not be afraid to tell people, like, what what I struggle with. And in, yeah. in, in, in that, in, in that, and just in that little action itself was, right. was, was, was freeing in its own way. Good. So 
anyway, thank you. you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the advice, CJ and, and, and Jeff. I, I, yeah, I just no words. I just want to go back really quick and add another vote for like having this accountability. And I know for mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks, like being part of this, like that's been one of those things that like, instead of just sitting on the couch, I was like, oh, I got to read this article yes. that Jake sent. <laughs> yes. um, and Jeff will know, and he has revealed at times, but like I tend to live tweet him every time I'm listening yeah. to the episodes that I'm not on. <laughs> and so like he, he probably know he knows exactly when I listen because he starts getting these notifications and I'm chiming in with what I would like to say when I'm in the room. Although then when I'm in the room and it's happening in real time, sometimes my thoughts don't come together quite as fast. Mm. But um, no, it's been it's been good to kind of and I think particularly because I'm one of those people who has been at least keeping somewhat of an ear on what's being said in the media and what's happening around everything that's going on right, right. now. Having having sounding boards, having people to be able to like vent that to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then have a have a thoughtful discussion. Right. My wife probably gets tired of how much I'm. <laughs> Did yes. you hear about this thing now? And yeah. So we were, we were talking about a few things like right. that. I was talking about the immigration freeze and, um, just telling her. I mean, I feel like that's one of those things that, the, the I don't know that I fundamentally like disagree with it, mm-hmm. but what it does do is create conditions where, to me, it seems like, um if you oppose the president, it's a really, really tough place to be in because if you say we oppose freezing immigration, then you're essentially in a position where he can say, see, this person cares about people who are not American citizens Mm -hmm. more than the lives and safety Mm -hmm. of American citizens Mm -hmm. when they've also said that we need to keep the, the, you know, many of these people have said we need to keep things shut down for public safety. Um, And then if they do agree with the immigration freeze, then he can kind of say, see, I was right. And I'm mm-hmm. so right about this, that people on the other side of the aisle agree with me. Mm-hmm. So it just, it was one of those, one of those examples. And that's right. the kind of conversation that I can have with you guys. And Oh, it, it makes it, me check in all the time. Yeah. I'm like, I'll be sitting around being like, meh. And then they like, crap. I better check in on the world because Jake's <laughs> going to make me, <laughs> uh, just a quick update with me. Um, man, I don't want to bring it all down. <laughs> Uh, this adoption thing sucks. Infertility yeah. sucks. Um, it's hard not to get like frustrated for people who, with people who don't understand it, but I get it. And like, you know, I have a buddy who, who recently just had a kid and, uh, just our path to adoption and, and, and through infertility has been very hard emotionally, but also like just navigating through the structure of like monet, like financially, but also like like what is the best route for us to go and we've (coughs) we've chosen a a path of like we've kind of chosen two paths but one of the paths is is to look at the option of adopting through foster care system and through that system you don't you don't get to just pay money and then you get to adopt a baby there's a process of like submitting on a on a child you have to submit on a child and you have to say, okay, I can imagine my life with this kid. And you have very little information about them, but you have to sit there and have a conversation. Like, is this somebody that we can picture in our family? And as you know, CJ, we have a massive family. So there's a lot of consideration that we have to put into that and just Mm -hmm. different personalities and all that. So that's the first step. Then we submit and then we wait. And then we're told, Hey, they chose somebody else. We don't, they have to choose the right family for, 
these kids. And there was recently two girls that Jen and I were just set on. We just thought like, this is the dream right here. We want this more than anything. But because of so many years of disappointment and letdowns, that we were very grounded in this this thought process. Um, and we didn't get them. And it's just another thing that we're just like, so you have to, you have to find silver lining in all of this. And for, if there's anything that this has taught us, it's that there's, there's always good in something. Um, and we have found a lot of good in this. Um, but what I want to say real quick is for those people who, who are just like, Oh, well, why can't you just, is is that how adoption works? It, it generally it is you just pay and then you meet them you get connected with the mother and then you work it through that and it's very different than our situation but it's hard for me not to get frustrated with people who don't understand but it's not their fault that they don't understand but it's it's just like you get kind of sick and tired of always explaining sure. it to people mm-hmm. um but then again and there here's another like element to it all you see your friends and your family building like growing their family and having kids we can't express how genuinely happy we are, but there's always that little bit of sadness because yeah. it's not our story, yeah. you know, and, and, and Jen and I didn't tell any the family about any of these struggles for years because we kept hoping that this year is going to be our year or this year is going to be our year. Yeah. Or this year is going to be our year. And finally, we just told everybody because it was an, too much to just bear on us without the support of all you guys. Um, so I just want to just express that because I know there are people who are listening who have heard or felt my frustration and annoyance, and I don't mean it to be mean and I don't mean it to be hurtful. I just want them to know that I, it it sucks and I love everyone who knows that I'm talking about them, (laughs) but it's just frustrating. Now with the good news is her and I have. We have a potential to move into uh, her friend owns a duplex and it's like a two bedroom with a fence in garage, our friends in yard and a garage. And we're kind of looking towards that as like the next like movement forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is good news and there is silver lining in all of this. But I just wanted to update everybody on what's going on again shed a little light on infertility because it's far more popular or not popular. It's far more prevalent than people know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard, but there's a, there's a million women online who connect. And I think that men, I try to act too tough about it and don't connect enough on this kind of stuff. But, um, I know that I have plenty of friends who I can talk to all the time about this stuff. And Jake, you've always been there listening to me talk about all this, but I just want to be a male voice out there talking about infertility, mm-hmm. but also to shed light on me and apologize for always being a dick. But that's also my personality. <laughs> so that's what you get. Well, we all expect <laughs> that's right. Uh, but also just to say, you know, there are some good things coming. Um, there will always be good things coming. Like uh, next week, there will be another episode of Say What You Mean. So look mm-hmm. forward to that. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to add to I mean, I wanted to say two things. It's like yeah. your, yours and Jen's story and just how much you guys have you know, recover and how much you love 
each other just through all of these hardships mm-hmm. and you guys that's never like never seeming to have wavered and i just can't tell you how much of an inspiration that is mm-hmm. exactly it, it's it's absolutely incredible man that how much like just every roadblock you guys have hit and i mean i've been in your lives for just a short period right. of time relative to how long you guys have been together but my god man like <laughs> you're so it's not easy no it's not but you guys but you guys are so strong into the into an outside observer you guys are incredible you really are and the second thing is i want to ride down to salem like i know i sent you this oh yeah just scream (laughs) at city hall or whoever makes those decisions like do you not understand how deserving these people are to be parents like any kid would be lucky to have you guys as, as parents and i i wish that these crappy bureaucrats that just look at numbers and in and, and pictures mm-hmm. on a page and make decisions off of that would 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 i don't know could could change the system in some way because oh my god there's just you need like there's just well no you start qu- you, you start questioning it. everything right so we have a home study it's a x amount of page uh, basically booklet on who jen and i are limited to words on a page right mm-hmm. and one thing that I keep, you can't help but question what those words say. Well, okay, Jeff Jeff has his bachelor's. He does what he can in the community when he can. He's getting his master's. Jen, her dream is, she's a nurturer. Her dream is to be a mother. She just wants that. So, but then you're like, well, we live here and we live with Jen's mom. And what is that the, is that what's holding us back? Is that's what limiting, Mm -hmm. what's limiting us? So that's why we're looking at this opportunity to move is maybe like, maybe that'll change it. Yeah. So you always kind of have to look for it. It's like, you have to change who you are, not change who you are, but you know what I mean? You're, you're, you have, you have to move things and change things to hope that that is the thing that's stopping them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's a really good move. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I'm too damn old to be. It's time to move on and, and try that and have our own place. And um, but, I mean, again, it, it could be easier just to stay here and keep saving money because it's working. Mm-hmm. We basically we have our whole space to ourselves. Yeah, and it works out. But sometimes it's just better to do the harder thing. It is, and because your ceiling is so much higher, you owe it to yourselves. Yeah, to keep pushing for that. To, yeah. to maximize that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is life is hard, change is tough. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> but there's great rewards that come from enduring. Yes. Um, stuff we always challenges. hear. Oh, stuff we're always told. But right. That just oh, goes one basic year stuff, and, dude. And, and, and until and until you actually go through any of it, like you don't actually have that realization. Right. Right. Well, and when you were first talking, Jake, one of the things I was thinking about is, I hear this battle, and I feel like. I've had some of this in my life too, where the the rap on millennials is that they just change everything all the time, like they don't stick with anything. Mm-hmm. And so I I have I feel like I have this inner boomer that's like, <laughs> like I gotta just dig in and grind at this, and it's gonna get better because if I don't, I'm a flaky millennial that's just bouncing mm-hmm. around. And I think the reality is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And so. It's, I think it's so important to, to reflect and think about like, what do I really want? Who do I really want to be? Yes. What do I want those circumstances to be? And what's, what is a realistic path to get there? Is, it, is, is something going to change if I just keep pushing and grinding mm. on what I'm doing now? Or right. do I need to make fundamental changes that move me in a path that brings my priority more into clearer focus and into reach? Right. Yeah. I can't help but think about my job now. As people know, 
I really love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's like, uh, it's constant battle. It's like, okay, well, I want a job in communications. Obviously, nobody's hiring right now. So that's, okay. that's, yeah. that's my excuse for it now. You know, just like Jake, when you're talking about same with your job, it's like, eh, no, no one's hiring. I'm just going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. stick this out. It's a great job financially and it's working out great for us financially. So right now, yeah, I'll hammer it out and I'm going to school. So it, it kind of works, but. I do worry about the end. What does the next step look like? And and maybe that's the millennial in me. It's like, I should just quit and just find a job in communications and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Or the the boomer in me is like, just grind it out, dude. You got this. Well, that's that is that's societal influence right there. Which one? The the um the, I think the, the grind? The grind. Like saying you have to you have to stick with the grind. Yeah. Why? Because I there's there is I mean there. I think that comes from worrying about being judged by society. I think that oh, what, what CJ said kind of um, reinforces that a little bit, where it's like the inner <laughs> boomer where you're like, I just have to sit and grind it out because that's right. what we're always told, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're told from the our from our predecessors is that we have to grind this out. But do we? Okay, so you bring up – you're just throwing my own advice back at me. Um, I, I sent both of you guys pictures from 15 years ago when mm-hmm. I played my first show in a band. And the drummer of that band has dedicated his life to being a drummer. And me and him were talking yesterday because it's 15 years. We, and we're just like, man, remember, blah, 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 blah. But he has gradually built a career as a drummer and just signed with a pretty significant metal band to be their drummer. And he was just like, dude, sometimes like, I feel like people like say things like you're a loser. Just give it up, blah, 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 blah. And I told him. That's just other people's insecurities, dude. Mm-hmm. I go, they, I, we watch you chase your dream, and that's risky, but you did it. And you didn't just stay with the same band and try to just grind it out. You constantly moved to a band that was better than the one you were previously in or bigger, and your paychecks got bigger. I don't know why paychecks is a, 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 a sign of that you're doing well. well but financial security right, is but in its way. You can see him way. growing in not only but I, and then that's what I told him I go looking at you and the experiences you have the 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 character the dedication the work I started listing all these good things that he's got from being a drummer mm-hmm. and he was like I would never have looked at it that way like thank you and I and then I said you know what makes me think like that is people shitting on me for getting a history degree it's like, I wouldn't change it for a wor- the no. world and when people ask me what did a history degree give you I can list I have a list of things that I got from doing that work. Mm -hmm. And so when I see somebody who's a drummer, I can recognize the hard work and dedication and the skills that come from the years he's dedicated to that craft. So in my own, I'm telling him, dude, you're killing it. Just like you're saying, it's society putting that pressure on you. I told him the same thing yesterday. Yeah. I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes it just has to come from the right. Right, person. right. If I'm saying it, I'm not listening. Yeah. <laughs> Everything in life is a is a value proposition. You say yes to things, and it means mm-hmm. saying no to other things. Right. Um. Real quick on history degrees. One of the things, listening to this podcast and just interacting with you guys, I see people that have studied history and 
not only just studied history itself, but the academic processes that are involved in getting mm-hmm. a history degree. Because I was a journalism major and a history minor. And I think I talked oh, about this right. before too. Yeah. So journalism, you take the volume of everything that's happened in the day and you condense it into these 30-second news spots if you're writing for TV. Right. Or you know, even in print, people's attention span is finite. So you're trying to pack it all in. So I would do my journalism classes and we would work on that. And then I would go to history classes and you would take three sentences from a primary source and write 30 <laughs> pages on it. Yes. And yeah, so no kidding, right? what, what I see is oh, that's so awesome. the process of studying history gives you a perspective and a, and a thought process that puts things in context, which I think is so important right now and often missing in what a lot of us do when we think about things but right i just want to put a pin in that because when we when we talk about the article that jake shared with we're us we're doing it right now okay. that's a perfect transition okay yeah let's do it okay so jake you sent us an article yeah so i um, love okay first of all okay <laughs> it's titled the death of american competence and my favorite thing is the picture used with uh trump and fauci yes like fighting over the like Oh, interpret it, interpret it. Ooh, well, I love this. Well, like, oh, I love right. this. Go well, ahead. No, 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 you're the communications. No, 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 no. Inter- no, it's Amer- not a communication. American visual culture. This is this is photojournalism. Yeah. Well, but also. Well, this is yeah. This is CJ's wheelhouse. Okay, but if it was painted, what do you see? I see what looks like. Um, I see what just. I mean, I guess you ha- you have to take context. I'm in, posting this picture, it. and yeah. it's it's uh, it looks like Trump is started a a press conference okay. and he's handing over to his to dr fauci oh, okay and in 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 a in a classic trump power move he's giving the microphone oh you're you're fauci. looking at the hand as a giving yeah he's so he, he's letting fauci, okay. he's letting fauci know that this microphone isn't yours if it wasn't for me okay CJ? So yeah, so you said painting um just the way that his arm and hand is is in this picture. Right. It reminds me of the the creation of Adam painting mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. God is like reaching across with okay. his finger to touch Adam. Um it, yeah, and I think it's just to me it's it's two old guys trying to get the microphone in the right position for whoever's about to talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's um this guy can't do it on his own, so I gotta I gotta <gasps> fix it for okay. him or help okay. him. Mm-hmm. So um, so and the reason we're having a conversation about this is because this is the graphic and the picture, sorry, the image that was used for this article, right? It's right there at the top. So there's a there's a purpose behind mm-hmm. using this image. Um, and your guys' interpretation is so interesting to me because uh, I think that as far as the struggle for power, I didn't see that, but now obviously I do. But my first thought is like, and I thought about it obviously, and it's been it's been discussed multiple times, but. We're in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. that is spread by germs and, and, and a virus. And oh, I didn't even think about that. Both their That's hands I... are literally inches <laughs> from each other, possibly touching. Did they learn the... nothing from Rudy Gobert? I no, guess they're manhandling not. this freaking microphone. Well, I don't think Trump is going to allow anybody to be wearing gloves and masks at his press conference. Yeah. That's insane. So I, I bet you Fauci would would rather be at least having gloves on right now, but I don't I don't I think that is a absolute no no. Do you think he's like take those off? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to analyze that image real quick because I I mean it's intentionally there at the top of this article, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to kind of pick that apart a little in, bit. In Doctor Fauci's like the head, I uh, uh, was it um, epistemologist or epidemiologist yeah, epidemiologist, epide- yeah. epidemiologist, and he's. He's become kind of a rock star for but sure. He, but even tr- like he's gotten so big that Trump can't fire him, 
and it's awesome. And they Which... tried not. <laughs> anytime he's not at a press conference, it's conspicuous, and yes. people are like. And I think that's got to be a really, really awkward position to be in. And um, it actually kind of reminds me. Um, I'm just. I don't know why this came to my mind, but a biblical analogy. So. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, you have the story of David and Goliath, mm-hmm. and David kills Goliath when none of the other uh, Israelites had been able to do that or had been willing to stand up and fight that battle. So mm-hmm. he becomes this cult hero. Right. Um, and prior to that, he'd been anointed by the prophet Samuel as the next king of Israel. So the current king, Saul, is in this really weird position where everybody loves David. He's got this huge... Right. Uh, popular movement behind him, but Saul's still the king, and David has been really, really um, conciliatory. He's, you know, as long as Saul is here, he's the king. Right. But at the same time, all the people love David, and there says in the Bible, I mean, there's, this there's, is a pretty good analogy or comparison right here. <laughs> there's, a, there's a there's a verse in the Bible where it says the people would come out and cheer, and they would say Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, uh-huh. and so they're like at every point they're like we like and we trust this guy more. Saul yeah. couldn't stand it. It got to the point where David had to like run for his life and he spent a good portion of the rest of Saul's life in hiding, essentially running because. Saul was like frustrated and and so upset that he's taking his army and trying to like track David down. He actually went and hid with the enemies of Israel because he was safer there than than staying at home. So that's probably like in some ways really hyperbolic compared to this, but it does seem like that in terms of it reminds me too. I meant to mm-hmm. I thought of this on the drive over. There's um a healthcare marketing agency that's been doing consumer research like every week and posting findings. And in their last report that came out on Monday, um, they had asked people questions about when there's a green light to go back to the hospital or to doctors. How are you going to feel about that? How likely are you to go receive care? What's What will your timeline look like? What kinds of things would you go to the doctor for? But they also asked questions about during this pandemic, how has your perception of the following changed? And they asked, you know, a whole bunch of different categories. Mm-hmm. So the perception of doctors and nurses, probably no surprise to you guys, has gone way up. Right. People are are like, this is an, an incredible. Um, and I don't remember all the areas that they asked, but I mean, there was like hospitals overall, you know, as as companies. Yeah. There was um, state government, local government, the insurance agency. Not surprisingly, in health insurance companies and the federal government were down at the bottom. And I think we see that in this as a microcosm. Dr. Fauci, doctor, he's a physician. Mm -hmm. People have huge credibility with him. The president represents the federal government. Um, By and large, people have concerns or just outright complaints with how the federal government has managed this pandemic. And so... um, it's this really weird place. Well, Jake talked <clears throat> a few weeks ago about leadership, and I was trying to put the point that leadership isn't just an elected official, and mm-hmm. we can look at Fauci, and I think people find a lot of a lot in him to, to look to as far as hope, but in also instruction, but also leadership, yeah, and and moral authority. Getting back yeah. to your like, to your um your final like oh, yeah. like who, like when you talk <laughs> about Kant, like always act like. One of his one of his three axioms is always act like you're the absolute moral authority, right? And I think you can definitely tie that to like the CD, like to the CDC. Without mm-hmm. with when you we lack leadership, so people start to look to 
other areas of expertise for that leadership mm. and um and that, and I think and then the importance of consistent messaging right though too which is what what leadership does is leadership gives that singular leadership when you have that singular executive it gives that that's it gives that one message right. and that is so much more unifying than having different people t- getting different information and different seemingly completely opposite and contradictory information and then you get people writing in the they get people writing in the streets because I think in their reality and, and p- the people who swarmed all of these different buildings all the different government capital like state capitals trying to get this thing reopened they're operating off of what I think they think is is a rational response to information that they've been given right Jeff have you guys talked about in any of your coursework mm-hmm. I know you'd said crisis communication mm-hmm. the importance of designating a spokesperson of course um, <laughs> we have that and we have that outlined at our hospital of right. like, if a, if a crisis or disaster happens, like all outreach from the media comes either to me or to my boss mm-hmm. and Dude, we, we collaborate. I with, can't believe you have that job. <laughs> <laughs> I got called a few weeks ago by CNN. They were working on a national Whoa! story. So, what? And Whoa. So our, a lot. our hospital's part of a, Damn. um, we connect with OHSU locally here, and then right. we're also part of a 23 hospital system on the West Coast. Right. So my job in that sense is to forward that to um, our communication right. leader at our corporate headquarters, and then she works on the, the follow-up. Mm-hmm. But there are times where local local yeah. reporters reach out, and I typically follow up with whoever is the subject matter expert. And I don't give like an on-the-record statement that they would say, you know, like C.J. Anderson right, right. shares this, but... Um, uh, I will share information as appropriate or as available, but right. in a, in a disaster situation, we always designate like who would the spokesperson be for different kinds of things. And we sometimes have a list of like, right now our hospital president is somebody who would speak really effectively mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. things like that. So she might be our first choice. And then right. if for some reason she's not available. We have a secondary person, but, um, yeah, it's so important to have that single consistent voice. And actually we've been doing that with internal communication. So we're a big company. We have like 1,600 employees and there's probably like in our normal world, there's been probably like 10 or 12 people in the company who have the permissions to be able to send an email to everyone in the company Mm, anytime they mm -hmm. want. Um, Because we've had like really critical messages that we need people to see and know about clinical operations and what's happening, we scaled that back so that basically my boss and the hospital president and her executive assistant are the only people right now who can send those kinds of messages. Mm -hmm. And I was just on a call with physicians this week where we were talking about um, how we communicate with them and if they're getting everything they need. And the feedback they shared is that by having all messages that are like for the whole hospital site coming from just one person's name, they look for that name and they know when I see that name, I'm going to open this message because it's important things I need right, to know. Right, right. Versus if they're getting a variety of messages mm-hmm. from a variety of people, they may not be able to quickly see and understand, is this one really important for me? Right. So um, I want to go back to, we talked, you were talking about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really what this article is all about. And yes. Oh, it, thanks, thanks for bringing it back around. So yeah. It, well, because it talks about, like here's some traditional things of what leadership looks like. And then I actually found another article from the New York times that basically is telling this same story and both articles. The theme is leadership is about more than, than power and military might and authority or wealth. 
it's about setting an example and and operating and conducting yourself in a way that people want to emulate and want to follow. It's it's being almost like an influencer. And mm. both articles argue that particularly in the handling of this pandemic, but maybe even over the last 20 to 25 years, the United States has lost some of that um, intangible leadership influence right. that we had built so strongly right Soft after power. World War II. Where, where people trust our decision-making. Right. And so this is... Uh, the, the, the article, once again, is The Death of American Competence. It's uh, in Foreign Policy Magazine, which is one of my, one of my absolute go-to sources. Mm-hmm. They're, they're fantastic. And um, this contributor, Stephen uh, Walt, is a professor of international relations at Harvard University. And uh, he's a he's a realist, which uh, so he looks at the he, he has a different worldview than I would say that I have, um, but he's he's definitely a very he's he's a pragmatist, and he he sees he sees the world in, in a little bit more in terms of just you know power structure, uh, power relations, and ba- you know balance of power. Ba- basically, he's balance of power and at the structural level determines how a lot of these these processes are going to play out, especially between especially at the international level. Anyway. Uh, we don't have to get into IR theory, but basically what he's he's saying is that there are those intangible things that you pointed to, CJ, that um, we, it has allowed the United States to operate um, in that even those other countries may not have seen that, may maybe not agree that the U.S.'s path is in their best interests, getting going along with the United States will, because they trust our judgment and our in based on our track record that it, it does it does suit them to go along with 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 our plans which is rare that is so rare in 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 human history that states will defer to a more powerful state right because of all sorts of other security concerns um he talked i think there's a really revealing um sentence in, in here it's at the beginning of the third paragraph where it basically says uh, for over a century, the United States' outsized influence around the world rested on three pillars. And he goes on to talk. We can go and talk about these three pillars. But mm-hmm. um, outsized influence, I think, is is a key word there. Because with all of America's military and economic might, the fact that it has been able to control world affairs for as long as it has, it, it, it is outsized because mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be able to control the processes and everything. So it that in itself gives a clue into... What what and then we can ask those questions. What are those other things that has allowed in the United States to extend its power in such a absolute way around the world to where it's been an unquestioned hegemonic power since the fall of the Soviet Union for almost 30 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit later in the article, it talks about um, like not only military might and some of the some of the not soft hard power, I guess is the mm-hmm. right word influences, but it talks about um some really fortunate things that have happened in terms of the industrial revolution, in terms of um, technological innovations. It says the personal computer, the smartphone, all those fancy weapons. Um, And with all that, one can understand why people around the world still looked at the United States as a, oh, merit, merit, meritocratic accomplished and above all competent countries. Small wonder. I am so happy you struggled with that word because I did too when I read it. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen meritocracy, but not meritocratic. But it says, small wonder that pundits um, began to portray the United States as the only viable model for an increasingly globalized world. 
let me come back to that in a sec, telling aspiring countries that if they wanted to succeed, they had to don the golden straight jacket and become more like the United States. So I was talking with Jeff a little bit before we started, but this idea of an increasingly globalized world, um, and I was mentioning, this is L2 Jake's horn for a minute, but I appreciate your perspective of coming with um, a conservative background and thought process, but a global view of, of the world um, and of the United States role. Um, to me, I think about internally as a country, we've become more polarized and we continue to push farther and farther to the extremes and have no interest in really making um, overtures to people on the other side. People that are running for president, say, are not necessarily trying to make outreach and say, hey, I want you to change allegiances and come vote for me. It's more, I'm going to fan the flames of my side so that we show up in a bigger number than mm -hmm. the other side. And to me, I think about like the America first thought process and like becoming increasingly isolationist. And if people were looking at the United States as the only viable model, I don't know that that way of doing things necessarily fits in an increasingly globalized world. If we're all building walls and we're all closing off to each other, mm -hmm. are, are, is the United States going to be successful and is everybody else going to want to emulate that same model for their own individual success? I think the, the short answer is no. I, did I send you that article about Latin um, democracy in Latin America? No. Okay, I meant to send it to you. It's a really good. Um, it's a really good article talking about why um, in Eastern Europe and Latin America, democracy, we're, those countries are always experiencing democratic backsliding. Oh uh, yeah. And and they're like maybe it's because it's it's it it's it's those are those are both countries that have have dealt with massive amounts of in of intervention and influence by western powers mm -hmm. and would and i think there is periods where especially if democracy starts to become questioned in those western powers it, it's that even has a more profound effect on areas of fledging have fledging democracies and unsolidified norms and stuff mm -hmm. like that because it's it starts to make, it starts to you start to they start to question well is this just some sort of imp, is this some sort of imported idea or is this an organic idea for mm. us and it's and if you if you start to if you question that obviously in, in all of the history of colonialism and intervention um, especially with you know a lot of the Baltic I think a lot of the Baltic states have there there are some resentment there um, saying like after the fall of the Soviet Union democracy was forced on us mm -hmm. and in Latin America I mean we you know, gosh, go back to the Spanish, right? And uh, in, in the 1500s. And I, I think that when the United States starts to falter and question its own self and its own moral authority, I think it, it has this residual effect. It just ripples across the entire world. Mm -hmm. and That's a I, great point. That's a great point. You mentioned moral authority. That's one of the other things that I feel like the article kind of gets into is culture. Um, and that's kind of that soft, intangible part of this is it's not just about having the best military and the most wealth and the best and brightest students and all these innovations and influences. It's about, do you have all of those things and are you actually good? Like right. what does that look like from a, from a, you know, from an internal perspective, like if you think of the country as like a family, mm -hmm. are we a healthy and functional family? And then do other families around the world say, we want to be like the Americans right. because, you know, not only do they have all this stuff, but they're 
happy and content mm-hmm. and that's so, an interesting yeah point i've been thinking about like the leadership and like just reflecting back on the latin american history i've studied and i i mean there's so much at play as far as elections and corruption and coups and all that stuff but it's just continuous over and over in latin american history where you have an authoritarian dictator but either put in place or or overthrowing a uh, a government put in place to take power and there's always this desire or at least forced movement towards democracy where you'll have a candidate running against the authoritarian regime just saying like i'm gonna bring democracy back i'm listening to the people i want to be the voice of the people and so many times when i'm reading through this latin american history i'm like dang dude this person is like legit Mm -hmm. they want to bring it back to and i obviously i'm influenced by the american model or the way of the american life so i'm thinking about like this this country could be us i guess yeah um but the authoritarian always wins <laughs> always yeah always because well, like, i think it's it's easy for the authoritarian to then point out his his the person running on that democratic platform he's just a puppet for the united states yes he's just a puppet for the absolutely um which is why like uh i think there's it's we all we all international relations i think gets in, in, in obviously you're going to think about this because this, the countries are the major players mm-hmm. in, in at the international level, but there are so many seemingly marginal other actors within that that have profound effects on um, change over the long run. And I, I'm thinking of uh, international organizations, mm-hmm. um, not international, sorry, non-governmental organizations okay. um, that do so many different things, but they're very specific in their scope, right? They have somewhat, they're, they're far more specific than, than any country can be, right? The United States can have a foreign policy, but how are you going to have it like, or a grant has a grant strategy and a foreign policy that tries, tries to narrow the scope into different regions, but still there's not much latitude there. Right. And they're mm-hmm. with, with all of the times that there's, there's uh, administration changes and you've got, and all of a sudden you're, you're ushering in people with different ideologies and, and mm-hmm. you're constantly having this, this, this flux, Whereas a, a non-governmental organization, just for example, a, a Freedom House is a political development um, group out of out of uh, Washington D.C. and their whole their whole thing is trying to promote democracy abroad. But in their byline, it's like we're not promoting we're not promoting American democracy because that's not going to work for every single person. Right. It's going and in, in talking to the people on the ground and understanding what are their cultural values. What what can we incorporate in terms of free institutions and representative democracy that works for the people here? And I think that that has, um, I think that the United States, I think even that the United States supports those organizations and there's so many of those organizations going now, the United States has so has such a, has kind of in a way built American, uh, American competence around the board, at least the perception of American competence uh, abroad. And I, I, who know, like, I think when you, def- when you start defunding stuff like that, it, you just there's so many little things that are inter- interconnected that you don't even think about until you start to start to read and really think about them. Who's stopping and thinking about that? Nobody. <laughs> Literally nobody. I yeah. Mean, it, but it, it is important. And I, th- I think that anytime you hear some somebody say something, it, it just it should spark a natural. Well, I Go ahead, I, CJ. I, I, I like this paragraph in the article, too. It says, um. Part of the problem is the hubris that comes from the United States' remarkably favorable history. 
It has been by far the luckiest country in the modern world, and Americans started to assume that success was their birthright instead of something that needed mm. to be nurtured and protected. So that goes back to, I think, what you're just describing of like promoting democracy other places, but not necessarily American democracy. Um, sometimes we think if we stamp Made in USA on it, it's automatically the best, mm. and it's automatically right. And I, you know, I just feel like over the last few years, maybe we've thought that or felt that a little more and i'm not entirely sure why you know i'm mm. just you know if somebody has really been pushing that you know american exceptionalism um in a way that has really caught a lot of attention on a lot of tv and right you know i can't i've been thinking a lot more and you mentioned it i think in our text and actually you did when you, you both of you said it when you sent that graph of like uh presidents ranking presidents yeah uh but recency bias and so last night I started like doing a bunch of research on the 1918 flu. I've read about it prior, but I wanted to like do a little more and just kind of compare times. Um, and you hear all the time that like this will never be the same. Things will never be the same. We literally went through a global pandemic in 1918. Uh, we have far more information about how viruses and disease work now than then, but I think things I think things will always change, but it's hard not in the moment to be like, we're the best country ever, and this is why, and put a stamp on it, and it's good to go, but also like, oh my gosh, things are never going to be the same because this virus in the whole world has changed, and I don't know, I'm just looking, it's, maybe it's because of history and, and, and just analyzing history from a sociological kind of point of view, as I've always kind of done, but I just, I'm watching people, I'm listening to people, protests, um, uh, like what Jake even saying, like, oh, who's thinking about this? I'm like, nobody is thinking about this. You can see it exemplified everywhere on social media. Nobody's saying, tweeting, like, hey, what do you guys think about the non-governmental agencies that are being underfunded by the U.S.? Mm-hmm. I would love to see someone tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. Uh, today and lately, I've been feeling far more pessimistic about where we are. Like I said, comparing authoritarian governments in Latin America to to, to what we where we are today Jake you had an amazing point when you were sending images from the protests all over the the United States and you were like if this was if we were being sent sh- or showed pictures of this from any other country you'd assume that they were a failed state people in full combat gear with loaded loaded yes. automatic like military style and I weapons. was like holy crap in front of capitol buildings yes you would assume that they were in, in a open civil war or they were a failed state yeah and and then and on top of that, the U.S. ironically would probably be arguing for some sort of inter- international intervention. Yes, but stay out of meal. You know, but God forbid, you know. I mean, their signs literally say like, "I need a haircut," and "I need a massage," and I see, I see, you know, it's hyper- it's hyperbole and it's 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 a stretch. But people are comparing like, uh, I saw this one that was like. It was literally uh, a black man being arrested by a cop, and it said, respect authority. And then it was, I can't remember what the second image was. Um, I'll, f- I'll find it. I'll pull it up. It was in my images. Um, While you're pulling that up, did yeah. you guys see that um, one of the state reps for Vancouver was at the yes. protest that happened in Olympia? Yeah, I did. I thought that was interesting. Oh, okay. So they say conservative, so that's why I didn't mention that, because it's like, that's you're generalizing yeah. there, but uh, it said, but the idea is just obey authority, and it's like a cop like choking a black dude, and then it said just obey authority, and it's all, uh, uh, the cages at the border, and then and then it says 
that's the third image of the protest, and it says it affects me now, so I don't believe in obeying authority. Yeah. I mean, there's so much out there just showing this contradiction, mm-hmm. and they don't see it. Nobody sees it we because talk- you need a haircut. Well, we talked about this a little bit last week too, and I've been like really m- mulling over it a little bit more, but particularly around some of these things with um, businesses being closed or restrictions being put on things. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and I don't know that I'm even totally clear on where the authority rests for some things like that. You know? Right. Because, because I think there's what, I, what I think happens is, and we talked about this last week too, mm-hmm. everybody's authority is the person who tells them what they want to hear in, yeah. or, or in the way that puts them at an advantage. And so, you, yeah. cause like, I think you had sent to us too, that like um, Franklin County in Washington their county commissioners voted to defy Jay Inslee's orders and totally reopen right. their their county's economy and, and businesses. Mm-hmm. So if the people in that county like what the commissioners say, they're going to choose to follow that and say, well, that's where the authority rests. If the people don't agree with that, they're going to say, no, it's it's you know, Jay Inslee's call and we're going to follow that. And this is terrible, but I'm just thinking like if, if, if Disney was like, yo, our parks are open, I'd be like, see ya. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. And you make a great point. I, the other thing that I saw that I thought was really interesting is, um, Jake, you mentioned right before this, that so today's supposed to be is NFL draft day and how that's totally different. But, um, Talk about like really, really unfortunate timing for something that was going to be a bit long shot anyways. But the XFL, which is another football league that right. was happening, had just like started having their season. And then I don't know if they'd even started yet. I they think had. They, they were like five yeah. games in, I think. So this pretty much closed them down. Yeah, no, it had started. Yeah, because I was looking. There's a team in Seattle, and I was trying to see if we'd be able to go when we were going to be on our trip. But anyways, at the same time, so a bunch of people lost their jobs because of that. But Vince McMahon was lobbying in Florida and professional wrestling has been determined to be an essential business by the state of Florida. So WWE can continue there. Um, And and so again, it's just this whole conversation about authority and sometimes where you put your, where you, what authority you, you trust or listen to is about convenience rather than being about, Mm. you know, who's actually, and, that's what kids do. You talked about dad's yeah. perspective. So <laughs> we all remember doing this and I see my kids doing it of, you know, when there's two parents home, you talk to one parent or you talk to another one. My four-year-old right now is really on this, this track where if I see him doing something, especially at the in-laws house and I say, I don't think you should be doing that. Oh, Oma lets me do this. Cause she babysits mm-hmm. him. And it's like stuff. I know mm. she does not. So then I'll, I'll make a point of like, well, when, dad's watching you you gotta do what i say and then later on i'll when we're around her i'll be like oh my do you let henry run around on the outside of the trampoline outside the net she's like no i would never do that (laughs) so i'm like so see now when you've told me a lie right you get in more trouble right but i just kind of thinking about bringing it back to Mm -hmm. we talked about last week too we all kind of are in this weird position where we aren't sure what we should do Mm -hmm. we all kind of are, are good with making some decisions on our own for keeping ourselves safe and helping keep everyone else safe. But there's places for all of us where we probably need that authority figure who's like, 
you really should not be at the bowling alley or the massage right, parlor. Right. Or so that gets me to the question of competence. So I'm thinking about competence, and that's the third pillar in this mm-hmm. article. Have we lost competence because of the coronavirus, or has it been incompetent for a while? Oh, we've been incompetent for a while, and this is just this is just unveiling all that to the rest of the world. That is the point I keep coming back to. Is if anything, this virus is shed. Just the, the the dumb things that people. Well, I think for me, the dumb things that people care about, like yeah, he mentions cultural rot at the end. Of yes, the, like the what matters? What matters? Leadership, structure, competence. Yeah, conservative. I mean, those are conservative pillars. Oh the, crap! The belief in the belief in, <laughs> the belief in maintaining institutions, right? And norms right. like that's in, that's that is the mark of a conservative. Not all of this other bullshit that gets put right, onto, right. onto us. Uh, anyway. Sorry. So why are you sorry? <laughs> I, t- I took you off of your point. No, no, that is my point. Oh, okay. That is, I mean, not. I mean, we're not celebrating uh, conservatives here, but uh, <laughs> but no, you're right. You're right. Uh, it, it people are looking for those things. They're looking for competence and trust and and normalcy. Um, and you're gonna find those in in, in, a, in established institutions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What were you going to say, CJ? I was trying to find. So in the New York Times article, I found that had kind of the same um, the same thesis. Mm-hmm. There were two things that I saved from it. I was trying to find the, um, the attribution for this one quote that I have, but I'll start with the other one. So they were – a lot of what they did with this one was comparing the U.S. to Europe. On the New and, York Times? Yeah. Okay. And they were talking about how – Again, in the past, the United States would have been seen as a leader or an example for others to follow. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of saying throughout this pandemic, Europe has basically not even paid any attention to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, so um, they were comparing the the team that's been put together to handle this crisis and um, looking particularly at what's been done in Germany. And this is where I want to get back to history major and what's mm-hmm. the point of being a history major so says mrs merkel like everyone would like to find a way out too but this week she warned germans to remain cautious she was listening to the advice of a multidisciplinary panel of 26 academics from germany's national academy of science Jeez. this panel includes how nice is that sound <laughs> this oh this God. panel includes not just medical experts and economists but also behavioral psychologists, education experts, sociologists, philosophers, oh, and constitutional experts. What are we doing? Over Our here? heart is breaking. Oh, here's the you guy. You hear that? Um, <laughs> you need a holistic pro- approach to the crisis, says Gerald Hogg, the Academy's president, who mm-hmm. chairs the German panel. Our, politic- our politicians get that. Wow. So Mr. Hogg, who chairs this panel, a climatologist, used to do research for Columbia University in New York. So this is this is a crisis that's impacting every part of our life. So to to think we can solve it with just this narrow Right. That's a great point. single-minded approach um I think s- sells it short yeah. in terms of, of what's needed. Yeah. Um I'm trying to find I don't think it was the same person. I'm trying to find the attribution for this other quote that I I mm-hmm. noted at the end, but they um we're talking about how you said, is this something that just happened right now or is this something that's been going on? And they made the argument that 
again, the United States has had some really, really, really good fortune. Mm-hmm. And we've taken that to mean we're really competent and we're really good. Right. Um, so they said, you accumulate problems. And because you're such a strong player, you can carry these dysfunctionalities for a long time until something happens and you can't anymore. So hmm. this is an example of where, um, you know, if this crisis hadn't happened, you know, our obviously our lives would all be very different. Right. And some of these things that we're talking about would just kind of be sitting below the surface and we we wouldn't notice them or they wouldn't be as apparent. Right. But when you when you face challenge, sometimes that reveals mm-hmm. more about mm-hmm. what's actually going on or where there's uh, weaknesses that exist or things like that. Right. Yeah. That's a really good but, point. Well, and I, like I said I, a while ago, you know, there was a, a state of emergency for, for a border wall. Like it pu- it's putting everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had an impeachment trial at the beginning of the year. Yeah. What the hell? Like it wrapped up in what? Mid-February, like early to mid-February, yeah. two months ago. Yeah. We had a president. Impeached. Impeached. And now that dude is running the running the show. Yeah. And we, we don't even think we honestly, we, we just that is out of our collective memory. Well, and we knew it would be, but th- I think this might have. Yeah. I mean, how is this? How is this not magnified? That, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's overshadowed that, and now there's this conversation of, is he gonna win again? And then we're gonna again rely on him for four more years, instead of hold up, this dude was impeached, and now he's running mm. this thing. I look. I've been. I mean, it's poll numbers, and we're still a long way out. But even polls that that typically skew his direction yeah he's got some of the lowest numbers i've seen from them yeah so there's always going to be 38 to 40 percent we have like four or five months still though. who just will never <laughs> never see it any differently yeah oh yeah oh but, yeah well and there's trump supporters that i know this is all a hoax there's footage of the media laughing about it because they know it's a hoax yeah. trump's trying to be the the only voice out there who's who's trying to expose it Everybody that was pushing the impeachment hamstrung the ability to, to do more to respond right, to this early right. on, which the president totally would have been doing if there wasn't the that's impeachment. That's another thing that's pissed me off is he's blaming the administration before him. Bro, it's been three years. You've had three years to make some changes. And he constantly brings up inheriting a mess. Yeah, but wasn't didn't people hold up when Obama talked about the mess that he inherited from George W. Bush? Oh, it, you know the buck stops here, man. Like you can't be blaming yeah. Bush. Stop blaming Bush. Mm-hmm. This is your this is your mess. You're the you're the president. Fix right. it. And then they're trying to use a, the same excuse that they right. I mean, it's just hypocrisy. It's yeah. that's a really really good point because I want I'm bringing it back to social distancing and um, but I think it it applies to like on a macro scale to national politics as well. So. Um, I have different people that because I work at a hospital will ask me a lot of questions and I don't always feel super qualified to answer, but, um, and even like Hudson keeps asking me like, is the coronavirus getting better? Is it going down? You know, and the, the secondary follow-up to that question is like, we can go back to normal and life can be what it was. We can, we can interact more closely, go to the movies, do those kinds of things. Right. And one of the things that I think Fauci's talked about this, and I think it's just an important talking point, is what we see today happening in our local community is the result of what we were doing two weeks ago. 
So if we see like fewer positive tests today, mm. that doesn't mean that yesterday we did a good job. It means two weeks ago we yes. did a good job. Yes. So if we want to continue seeing what we see today, we need to continue doing what we were doing two weeks ago to maintain that. Right. And, it, and mm. in, when we get to the point where what we've done two weeks ago is resulting in consistently something that we're comfortable with day over day, mm -hmm. that's when it's appropriate for us to be, I think, my opinion, like more fully relaxing some of these things. Mm -hmm. But people do the same thing every time the, a new president from another party gets elected is they go, you know, day one or year one, what's happening today? And it's the person that's in office right, right now. Right. And I think every president probably faces that. And it's, it's not entirely fair because, you know, some of these things set wheels in motion that have ramifications that play out over years. Mm -hmm. And so not to defend Trump or not to defend Obama, but when people say some of that stuff and when they're pointing to a previous administration, there's probably some truth to that. Mm -hmm. But I do agree that like, you can't use that as a crutch. You have to say the buck stops here and right. this is how we're moving forward. This is, this is the path. And it's definitely a challenge because I think in a first term, then you've got to really quickly be able to get some of those results um, and when you've planned to hang a lot of those results on the economy and then there's a global pandemic that you have, <laughs> like, even if you had a lot of control over it, you really don't have a ton of control. It was going to hit the economy in some way. Right. And so then that really undercuts the thing that you were planning to use to say, this is why I deserve four more years. Right. Like, understandably, you're going to be looking to point fingers every other direction. Mm. Um, I think for many of us, that's just not a really good look. Right. Mm-hmm. You all right? No. Final thought? Um, final thought, I, I guess something maybe it was set up for next week is, you know, we've, we've often talked about how one of the, one of the, when we've talked about power politics between China and the United States and U.S. hegemony, because I think we're, this is all about American competence and trying to restore this conversation. Is talking, how can the United States restore its competence and its, yeah. and its global leadership? And, but We've often talked about what is what is the greatest threat to that, and and some people argue it's the right it's the rising of China to try to supplant the United States, and we've we've talked at length about this in multiple episodes in the past. But one of the one of the biggest arguments for me has always been that um, U.S. Um, the the ideas and the principles that the U.S. United States espouses and has used in in its formulation of its policies will have even if the United States re-entrenches itself in an isolation stance that, that has an afterglow that there, there's there's still going to be countries out there that are going to still see themselves in that light and that demo, in that democratic light and they're not going to necessarily align themselves with a with authoritative regime like China just because there's such ideological differences and 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 differences over governance and they just there's that's just not going to work but I think what covid might be I think what covid-19 might be doing is that China is receiving more of a favor, and he talks about Stephen Walt talks mm -hmm. about this in here is that um, is that China is receiving more favorable accolades in the international community than the United States is, and so maybe this is you know this is chipping away even at that even at that idea of 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 can can a liberal regime have a good relationship with an authoritative regime, and people start to be questioning. Well, maybe we can align ourselves with China and we would be better off. Mm -hmm. So I, I think looking, we've looked at a lot of micro, we've looked at a lot of the second level of analysis at the state level of mm -hmm. how this uh, virus, and I think this virus could even have a, a, a real structural 
uh, change to the international system. So maybe we talk about that a little bit tomorrow, I'm next down. week. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, you too. Thank you. Thank this you, Jeff. Fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, you all listening, stay safe. Um, be inspired by Jake and do something kind. See ya. Bye. See ya.